My friends, if you could turn to Second Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 14 through to verse 26. Timothy, as many of you know, was the uh, young pastor of the church at Ephesus. When Paul writes this letter to him, there's been a, a falling away uh, within Asia Minor. Um, Timothy has been encouraged by the Apostle Paul, who's in prison. And uh, he says in verse 14, remind them, he's obviously telling Timothy to remind the Christians, remind the congregation of the things that uh, he has been imparting to him. So if you've got that before you, we'll read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and, so, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, Sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will or to do his bidding. Well, beloved, we got as far as verse 13 last week, so we'll go straight in and pick up where we left off at verse 14. And you will notice Paul is, uh, <clears throat> Paul is basically saying to Timothy, Timothy, ensure that you're more concerned with the matter of affirmation than innovation. Uh, that's the emphasis of Paul here when he reminds uh, Timothy in the opening sentence of verse 14, remind them of these things. You know, one of the great dangers that confronts particularly a young man in pastoral ministry is that he falls foul of the notion that if he's going to be useful in nurturing God's people and in seeing unbelievers uh, become committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's going to be imperative for him to be constantly, as it were, on the cutting edge of thinking up new ways and new means of doing things. And even worse than that, you know, sometimes the young pastor, you know, thinks, well, I have to tamper with the fairy gospel itself, have to tweak it a bit to make it 
more appealing and more attractive. As if somehow or other, you know, as a result of innovation or tweaks to this glorious gospel, they may be able to make it more successful. Uh, It is, in fact, quite striking how many times uh, the Bible reminds pastors in particular of the crucial responsibility that they have to remind their people that the key to their usefulness in Christian living is to be found in them being enabled to do the basics well most of the time. So just keep doing what you're doing as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep living out your faith. Um, You know, the Christian life um, isn't an easy life. It's certainly a straightforward life. Uh, And we are encouraged. Um, Well, we we are to encourage each other, aren't we? And Timothy is certainly to encourage the saints at Ephesus. You know, keep going. Uh, Don't give up, even though everybody else around us is throwing in the towel and walking away from the faith. Don't you be giving up. Make sure that you're continuing to believe this and that you're standing firm upon the rock Christ Jesus. Uh, So you keep going, keep persevering in the faith. So Timothy, in the midst of both moral and doctrinal confusion, is to labor. Paul says to ensure that those under his care in Ephesus will understand that the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things. And this, of course, is a matter of great concern for us at a time when there is so much that goes on around us that can draw uh, the saints into all kinds of bypath meadows. Now, part of the ministry of reminding as we have been seeing in our Bible studies on Wednesday evening, looking at the book of Jude. Part of the ministry of reminding is to exercise a word of warning. And the warning here is clear, being reiterated in the verses before us. He says, remind your people, charge your people, remind them before the Lord not to strive about words. Why? Well, first of all, because these kind of quarrels and disputes are absolutely worthless. Uh, They serve no profit. They're of no value. Ultimately, uh, to the people who engage them in them or the people who are listening to them, there's no profit to to it. Secondly, uh, they lead to the ruin of the hearers. So, for example, uh, you could picture uh, Mr. Gaius and Mr. Demas talking with one another at the church at Ephesus, and they get into a major discussion over some peripheral matter. And as they do so, it becomes, you know, uh, apparent that it's a futile exercise. But at the same time, there are others, perhaps, you know, young believers, or maybe even unbelievers, you know, standing around listening into this dialogue. Uh, and frankly, it becomes the ruination of them because they're saying, like, if that's what Christianity's about, if that's what you guys are getting head up about, forget about it. And, uh, and they walk away. And Paul is saying, look, charge them, charge your congregation, charge them before the Lord Jesus Christ not to strive about words and issues that are not the essence of things. I probably 
All of us could bring to mind circumstances like this where sadly maybe we've even been guilty of engaging in this kind of dialogue or where we certainly have had vivid recollections of overhearing this kind of dialogue among older believers or other believers. And what they've been doing is they've taken the peripheral and they've made it central. And they've engaged in dialogue and discussions about issues that frankly generated more hate than light. And really, um, they should have set it all aside if they were taking the warnings and the excitations of um, Paul to Timothy seriously in this second letter. So Paul is saying to Timothy, be clear, Timothy, about what you are aiming at. And also about what you're going to avoid. Isn't it essentially what he's saying there in verses 15 and 16? If you've got your Bible open before you. He's saying be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Make sure what you're aiming at. Make sure what you're avoiding. Or as it's rendered in the old uh, King James Version. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly defining the word of truth. What is this work? What is the workman doing in verse 15? Well the, the nature of the work is in the handling of the word of truth. It's imperative that the Lord's servant goes about the task with a genuine desire to work in relationship to the word in such a way as not to be ashamed on any occasion when the work is opened up to scrutiny. My friends, this exhortation, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, is no arm's length theology. This is no superficial exhortation. It's actually at the very heart of the matter. Uh, Timothy's life, Timothy's destiny, his influence on the church at Ephesus rests upon this fact under God, of course. And he has to take these issues and this responsibility seriously. Now, you and I, this evening, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, are you aiming at God's approval? Are you aiming at God's approval in the light of the fact that we are hastening towards a day when it will be obvious in the light of that day exactly what we were doing? Now the word translated the fighting or rightly the fighting is the word uh, tomeo, which means to cut a straight line. So th- this is a call to clarity. This is a call to accuracy. This is a call to simplicity. The good workman in handling the Bible does not seek to bamboozle the people, doesn't seek to impress the people with an academic paper that leaves them all puzzled, even the brightest in the gathering, you know, scratching their head because of the speaker's supposed knowledge. And uh, I've mentioned it to the congregation here a few times. Some of the folks will remember this, but... For those of you who are visitors, remember uh, when Rowan Williams was the Archbishop of Canterbury, reading an article in the Times, he had been speaking at Oxford or Cambridge, he had been given a paper, and the Times correspondent 
Uh, she was saying, you know, the man's learning was, was amazing. Uh, it was evident that he was on another plane from everybody else in the auditorium because none of us understood a word that he said. And uh, it's nuts, isn't it? You know, he, he was probably talking a load of nonsense, but they thought, oh, it's great, you know, we don't understand it. And, you know, see, to be honest, it wouldn't be the first time that I was sitting at a conference. You know, I haven't gone to many conferences, but, well, the Banner Conference in particular. You know, sitting there, and the speaker, you know, tried to impress with his knowledge of the word to, to such an extent that it certainly lost me. Um, and no doubt lost some of the other pastors around me. So it's, it is vitally important that we handle the word like good workmen. So even if you're talking to people at your place of work, talking to your neighbours, um, you know, talking at uh, college or wherever, uh, that you talk plainly to people and uh, you talk straight to them uh, and that you handle the word of God with clarity, with, author- with certainly with authority, because this is God's word, with accuracy, with humility and with simplicity. And that's certainly part of the exhortation to Timothy. In contrast, you will notice, with a bad workman. You see, you're a workman. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you're a workman. And the question is, are you a good workman, as Timothy is exhorted to be? Or are you a bad workman, like uh, Hymenius and Philetus? You know, they're all workmen. Uh, The distinguishing factor is the way in which they are handling the word of truth. That's the test. Now, the contrast to the idea of cutting a straight line in these individuals in verse 18 is that they have strayed from the truth. They have wandered away from the truth. These guys have missed the target. And the verb that is used here for straying you know, from the, the target actually comes from a, a noun which essentially has in view the bullseye. Now, whether they, they began, you know, aiming for the bullseye, whether they began, you know, walking a straight path and then strayed, we don't know. But what we do know is by verse 17, they're missing the target altogether. So as I say, whether they um, began missing the target in small degrees, uh, uh, you know, by initially moving uh, or having no interest at all, you know, coming in as the folks in uh, Jude came in deliberately to subvert the faith. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, these folks were, were missing the target altogether. They had diverted from their objective. And the and her warning is this, Timothy. Timothy, you make sure that you stay on target. Uh, and it's the same for ourselves, beloved. We have to ensure that we're staying on target, that we're keeping to the straight path. Don't be like these individuals who have missed the mark altogether. Now, now again, how sad it is to find your name in the record of Holy Scripture, but only as someone who has missed the mark. Somebody who has been a hindrance to the church rather than a blessing to the church of Jesus Christ. My friends, remember we are leaving a legacy. 
People will remember your contribution. People will remember your input to the household of faith. People will remember and be puzzled that your seat is empty uh, on a Sunday. Why isn't that person here on Sunday evening, if they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, why did they just turn up on Sunday morning? Why does that person always miss the prayer meeting? Why are they never there? People will be perplexed and puzzled over that. They will be puzzled if you never turn up at a church business meeting. And they're going to remember if you do turn up and all you had to say was, well, I would rather register my um, complaint against this. Or I would uh, like you to minute my disagreement on that. And I want you to know that I abstain from this. People who turn up just to be cantankerous. And you know, when the, the minutes are opened in, uh, in time, and people are just uh, sitting on maybe a rainy Sunday afternoon going through the books of the church, they find the legacy that we left was largely disagreeable largely cantankerous and marked more about a concern about words and trivialities than with an overarching concern for the well-being of God's people and the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we always have to watch ourselves. We have to watch our attitudes. We don't want a Hymenius and Philetus in this congregation or any other congregation. People who are guilty of robbing uh, even some of their faith. Can you imagine the damage that these guys did in the church at Ephesus? They were going about saying the resurrection of Jesus Christ had already taken place. And as a result, people's faith had been unsettled. And here we are, friends, in the year, well, in the 2020s. And the cornerstone of Christian conviction is still this matter of the resurrection. Friends, it doesn't matter from what angle you come at it. Eventually, you will have to come to the resurrection. Jesus Christ died and he rose again. For example, whether, like Paul, you know, we want to start and remember how Paul started in Athens. He, he starts, um, if you like, on the fringes of things. And he says, I, I want to say, you know, I can see you're very religious. I can see that because I notice you're interested in angels and you're interested in uh, reincarnation. You've got all these uh, idols to, to gods. And I've been uh, reading some of your contemporary writers, some of your poets, and they're interested in spiritual things too. Uh, and Paul comes at it from that direction. And he quotes you know, some of their uh, popular poets of the day. But eventually he moves from that point to, uh, to where he preaches to them about the resurrection. And he says, you know, God has appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has, has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all. How? By raising him. There's a resurrection. By raising him from the dead. And you see, this matter of the historicity of our faith is crucial. Certainly, it is good to be able to affirm our personal experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved me. Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus Christ lives within my life. He has changed my life. It's good to be able to give testimony to that. 
good to be able to say, I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was once in darkness, but now by the grace of God I see. Good to be able to say that. But beloved, be very, very careful of using that as the ace up your sleeve. Because on the other side of the table, you'll have somebody saying to you, you know, funny enough, Buddha does that in my life. You know, I was once a mess until I started yoga. And once I started yoga, you know, the light just came on. And now my life is so much better. I mean, you'll get them saying, you know, I met Krishna. Or I met Muhammad. You know, once, once I was as blind as you were. So you've just got Jesus. I've got Buddha. You know, we're all happy. You know, and that's, where do you go from there? You know, um, you're left in a sea of subjectivism, aren't you? This suits me and that suits you. So unless you're able to articulate and affirm the accuracy, the historical truths of our Christian faith, you're going to be at a loss. And so those who undermine the matter of the, rex- uh, the, matter of the resurrection, uh, trying to pull, they try to pull apart the very cornerstone of that which underpin- uh, underpin- underpinned uh, Paul's life and ministry. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? He said, if Christ is not risen, then those who have died have died in their sins. Our faith is futile, absolutely useless. There is nothing to look forward to at all. But he says, Christ has risen from the dead. It's a historical fact. And we see this in Jude and the undermining of the faith. You know, that wasn't coming from people on the outside. That, that was coming from people within the framework of the church. And so we always have to be on our guard about attacks coming from within. That's why Paul's warning here is so crucial. And he says, these guys creep in, they peddle their pernicious doctrines, and their teaching spreads like cancer. Now, do you like that picture? It's not a pretty picture. You know, God forbid that any of us would ever experience it. Maybe some of you have had experience of it personally and cured of it. Maybe through your loved ones dying of it. This disease that just, you know, spreads through the body can spread so quickly at times. If you've been reading Evangelical Times, the, the pastor from Olveston, Ollie Hunt, sharing about his uh, experiences with cancer, tongue cancer, throat cancer, horrendous. Uh, and Paul is saying, you know, that's what, that's what this, th- this false doctrine is like when it takes root in the church. It's like a cancer. And so he says, don't mess with it. You know, get rid of it. Cut it out before it takes root. Now, you must consider the implications of this you know, your, for your individual life. You know, you're, you're sensible people. You know, examine the, uh, the scriptures, work out your own salvation, obviously with fear and trembling. But certainly within the context, it is the responsibility, responsibility of Timothy as a young man in pastoral ministry to ensure that the people aren't quarreling, that uh, he's aiming at the bull's eye 
and he's rightly handling the word of truth. Timothy needs to remind himself, verse 19, of the solid foundation of God standing firm. You know, when all around is sinking sand, on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. And the blessed assurance is the Lord knows those who are his. In other words, when dealing with the error and confusion around us, it's only the Lord who knows the genuine from the spurious. For it's ultimately the Lord who sees the heart. However, beloved, there is an observable factor. Because everyone who names the name of the Lord must depart from iniquity. And by the observation first of our own lives, am I departing from iniquity? And then in part in the lives of others, we can see that it's by our departing from wickedness, by our departing from sin, that we bear testimony to the condition of our hearts. Now, having used an illustration from the world of the military, and gone on to use an illustration from the world of athletics, and then went on to use an illustration from the world of farming, Paul now goes on to use an illustration from a, a domestic setting. In verse 20, he pictures a large house. Now, he's not concerned with the, uh, the bricks and mortar. He's not concerned with the superstructure of the house, but what's inside. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Uh, and basically, you see what he's saying here, the condition of usefulness. You will notice in verse 21, the condition of, of usefulness, that's what's imperative. That's what's important. It's not the giftedness. It's not the background. It's not the prominence. It's not the influence. It's purity he's driving at. So, Timothy, are you a good workman? Timothy, are you going to warn? Timothy, are you going to watch? Are you going to lead? Are you going to exhort? Are you going to uh, feed the people of God? Timothy, are you going to finish the course? Timothy, are you going to take the baton from my hand, run the next 400 meters, and pass it into the hands of the next generation? Is that what you're going to do? Because the master of the house lays down only one condition. And that is that the vessels which he uses must be clean. So the distinction between honor and dishonor is not the shape of the handle of the vessel. It's not the fluted nature of the cup. It's not the basic nature of the utensil. The issue is the purity out of which um, we drink or from which we eat. That's what he's driving at. Is your life marked by holiness? A holy life, a pure life. And it's in the light of that that we go back and ask the question, what then do we do with the contaminating influences of a, you know, the people like Hymenaeus and Philetus? Well, surely, friends, does this not at least suggest the possibility of disassociating yourselves from the likes of these people. We have to separate from those who peddle pernicious doctrine. It's not, um, if you just look ahead a wee bit, we'll come to this next uh, week or over the next couple of weeks, but the end of uh, verse 5 of chapter 3 
So he's outlined the, these religious charlatans, the, these people who are, are shams, you know, they have a form of godliness and deny the power, uh, who sometimes seem to say the right things, uh, seem to quote the creeds, who affirm the right articles, but they live in total denial of what they proclaim. Uh, so what does Paul say? From such turn away. Uh, and sometimes, friends, we have to break fellowship, sadly but regrettably, with those who are saying one thing and doing another. Um, you know, we have to guard the fellowship. We have to guard the truth. And when people depart from the faith, we have to depart from them. And so, beloved, Paul says to Timothy, you make sure that you are showing yourself a good workman. Don't worry about anybody else. Make sure that you're doing it. And it's the same with ourselves. Silly looking at the person in front of you, behind you, across the other side of the chapel from you and saying, I wonder if they're doing it. It's you. Are you studying to show yourself approved on to God? May the Lord help us to be diligent students of the word. May God be gracious to us and build us up in our most holy faith. And above all, may we be a people who don't merely talk the talk, but may God grant us the grace to walk the walk. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for this look tonight at these closing verses of Timothy, 2 Timothy 2. Lord, we, we can with regret perhaps look back and think of times when we we're engaged in idle babblings that uh, basically increase to more ungodliness rather than godliness. We pray, Lord, that you would help us, if we name your name, to be faithful workers who will rightly divide your word, who will be faithfully not on, faithful not only in proclaiming it, but also in living it out to those around us, that people would see Jesus in us, the people would be curious as to why we live the way we live and behave the way we behave. Lord, what a testimony it would be if we were known as people who were prepared, uh, who were useful for the master and prepared for every good work. May your spirit graciously work to such a capacity in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.